Hello and welcome to Sex Ed for Sex Med, a podcast produced by the Ohio Sexual Health Collaborative for medical providers caring for women. However, women experiencing sexual difficulties who perceive a lower quality of life do not feel like themselves and are looking to increase their knowledge of sexual health are also encouraged to listen. I'm your host, Dr. Terry Gibbs, and together with my rotating medical experts, we'll be providing evidence-based fundamental and advanced concepts for evaluating, educating, and empowering women with sexual concerns. We'll be addressing physical, mental, and sexual health wellness as all these aspects are important in enjoying a healthy sexual life. Today, we start a two-part series on developing sexual medicine as a focus in one's practice. In this first episode, we are talking to Anna Meyer, a certified nurse practitioner in urology and urologic female pelvic medicine. She's a certified sex counselor. She's part of the, the female sexual medicine team at University Hospitals in Cleveland, Ohio. She will present her educational journey and practice model that allows her to practice with a sexual medicine focus. In the next episode, we'll be talking to a sex therapist. Please enjoy this podcast. I wanted to tell you in in episode 12 of this podcast, we discussed the need for sexual medicine education and training programs and why it's important. In this episode, we're going to go a lot farther. Today, we're talking to Anna Meyer, a certified nurse practitioner in urology and urologic female pelvic health medicine. She's a certified sex counselor, and she's a part of the female sexual medicine team at University Hospitals in Cleveland. And she's going to be discussing her her journey to becoming an expert in the field of sexual medicine. Hello, Anna, and welcome. Hello, Terry. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, let's start our conversation and give us a, a typical patient experience that you deal with on a daily basis, if you would. I just recently had a gal that came in to see me. Really interesting case. She's 80 years old. She had been married for 45 years to the same partner who passed away. A few years later, she meets somebody new, becomes intimate with them. And in the process of becoming intimate, um, he recognizes that she isn't having orgasms and he brings it up to her. And she never even realized that she wasn't having orgasms, that she wasn't experiencing that. And so he wanted her to reach out to a professional, a sexual medicine expert, And so she came to our office and I was able to teach her about her anatomy, about the clitoris. We talked about sexual tools, arousal, orgasm. And these are pretty typical things that I do for a lot of my patients who are needing help in this area. Well, obviously there's a lot about physiology and pathology and treatments. And thank God there's people out there who are in their 80s still enjoying sex. I think that that's good to hear. And Absolutely. so I, I think that's a great, you know, patient experience. T- tell us now about the process or the journey you took to uh, incorporate sexual health care in, in, into your practice. My background is female urology, female pelvic medicine. And so I've had an interest in this for a bit. You know, in female pelvic medicine, you help women with prolapses and pelvic pain and pelvic issues. And we were able to fix their vaginas. But 
oftentimes there was something more The women were just felt like, even though after your, their vagina was fixed, maybe there was still low desire and those kind of issues. And I, they didn't know where to turn to. And I just wanted to be able to help them. And then in 2019, I started treating men in urology. And just as nearly as soon as I started treat, seeing the men for um, urology, they made me want to do more for the women because when men come in the office for urology, they're screened for sexual concerns, just matter of factly with every visit. It's normalized that you ask. And guys don't have any issues answering those questions. I made my interest known to our chairperson, Dr. Ponsky, and he was very supportive of me doing more in that area. I met some wonderful mentors, women's health nurse practitioner, Jean Marino, who I believe you know, and then also she introduced me to a psychologist, Dr. Cheryl Kingsburg. And they introduced me to some organizations. Um, one was ISHWISH, the International Society of the Study of Women's Sexual Health, and NAMS, North American Menopause Society. Around that same time, my collaborative physician, Dr. Loeb, he specializes in men's sexual health. He saw that there was this speaker coming in to Ohio, and he said, you know, I think you ought to go to this. And so it was a snowy weekend in February 2020. I drove down to Columbus from Cleveland, and I heard Dr. Rachel Rubin for the first time. And even though it was snowy outside, it really got that fire burning, wanting to help these patients and just doing more in sexual health. She was all about building your team. I came home and the next day I was texting my public floor physical therapist and the psychologist and just making sure I had all of the pieces together. And that includes your, your medical assistants, your frontline staff, people that are going to be giving out information that ask sexual questions and being able to answer those questions for patients. A few months later, I met Dr. Rachel Pope who also had an interest in women's sexual health. And she was taking ASAC courses and she encouraged me to take those courses too. So she became our chairperson of sexual health. And now we have psychologists, pelvic floor physical therapists, GYN, urology providers, and we all sort of work together. We can go over tough cases together and I really enjoy it. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's really fast and a lot. How many years over, how many years did, was that all transpiring? I'd say from the moment I really got active in, in trying to figure this out since 2019, so about the last four years, almost three and a half years, four years. Okay. You, you mentioned a couple of certifications and, and, and groups, um, ASEC certification, and I know that the ISHWISH also has a certification. Would you speak to those, if you will? ASEC certification, that's the American Association for Sexuality Educators counselors, and therapists. And that is an 18 to 24 month, I would say minimum to, to do that program. It's 150 hours of coursework. There's about 90 hours in core sexual health knowledge. So you're covering your human anatomy, ethics, biopsychosocial model, and many other models as well. Going into the details of intimacy, relationships, abuse, diversity, history, theory, research, you really get the picture here that we're talking about sexual medicine as its own discipline. And then you have 60 hours specific to counseling, where you're going to work through different populations, disabled patients, older, younger, single couples, LGBTQ. And then a really fun part of the um, program was something called a SAR, which I had never heard of before. That's S-A-R. And that's a sexual attitudes reassessment. And it's basically, it's like a weekend retreat that you do. And it helps you identify your thoughts around sexuality, 
It really opens your eyes up to all that is going on around that topic. And they usually have different themes like younger, older, mine had more of a cultural focus. Then you have so many hours that depending on your background, your bachelor's, your master's, your doctorate, um, you have so many hours working with a supervisor and then so many clinical hours doing the actual sexual medicine counseling, educating or therapy. And I would just encourage folks to start taking classes. For me, it really opened my eyes up to this big world of sexual health. And I came to understand, you know, all that was happening in this field from public schools and educating young people to colleges, clinics, therapy, counseling. It helped me be able to really talk about sexual health in a very comfortable way with other individuals, which is very important, obviously, as we try to gain their trust. You know, people will share with you some pretty intimate details if they believe you really care and that you're not biased. And it's important to be educated so that we're prepared to do that. I mean, that's that's a fantastically deep and extensive coursework. What does that certification allow you to do? Are you, what's the difference between being a therapist and a counselor? So as a counselor, you know, I am not doing therapy. I am, you know, doing counseling. So and I run with the Plicit model, which is a, a model that's been around in sexology for a very long time. Um, it's P-L-I-S-S-I-T. So that's a little bit of a mouthful, but it starts with permission giving. So that is just asking patients. That's allowing them to have the opportunity to discuss these issues, to bring it up, you know, whether that's starting with a screening tool, but just giving them the opportunity to share the these concerns. Limited information. So that's basic information, but then taking, you know, their whole kind of biopsychosocial case and giving specific suggestions. I dig fairly deep into the issues linking the bio with the psychosocial aspects of the problem, but intense therapy. No, I leave that to the therapist. Um, I have several great therapists, Dr. Kingsbury and Dr. Kelly, and I can refer to them when I need a patient to be seen you know, right away. So I, I think it's important to, to get into the, the biopsychosocial because we've We've talked about like a uh, low sex drive in previous episodes, and that turns out to be uh, there's a lot of psychological issues there. And so, uh, you know, that's great that you address not only those issues, but but the biologic issues um, that people have. You mentioned like the woman, uh, you know, who, who are older, having um, uh, dryness and, and whatnot, uh, causing pain. And, and it's just, there's so much to know. What a, what a great uh, background you get. So um, there's also some certifications with uh, Ishwish that uh, I wanted you to mention and, and a little bit about the Ishwish Fellow or IF certification. Yeah, the Ishwish Fellow is something that I did maybe about a year and a half ago. Really, I had all of the pieces, but it took a few recommendation letters from another fellow that's already an Ishwish fellow, two of those letters. And then I also needed to get all of my education together. And there's an application process to apply for that. How did that help you with sexual medicine in your practice? I think it, it signifies that I put the, the time into the education, that I've made this a focus of my practice. Um, there's several essays that you write for that application. And that I have the recommendations from other Ishwish fellow providers who see the work that I'm doing. And you can be, you know, uh, you can be a urologic uh, nurse practitioner or OBGYN or whatever, and still have the certification and have it as a part of your practice, but not necessarily your whole practice, correct? 
That's absolutely true. I see all general urology patients in addition to female pelvic medicine and sexual health patients. So, you know, if you can make it the focus of your practice, that's great. If you like the variety of seeing other patients, that's great too. Now, you mentioned the North American Menopause Society, and they have a, a certification for dealing with uh, menopause issues, which you've alluded to some of the, the people you've seen. And, and that's another uh, certification. Any, any comments on that? I, I know you know about that. That is a great certification as well. That is for people that their practice, I would say, is very focused on menopause, the entire menopause from breast health, bone health, hormone therapy. Um, and they, that is a test that they take after they've completed so many hours, I believe, of education. And they can sit for that board uh, certification. And just like the fellow and the menopause certification, these are certifications that can be sat for by providers such as pelvic floor physical therapists, by you know providers in internal medicine. It doesn't have to be urology or GYN. It can be family practice. So when you go to these conferences, you see you know the gamut of people from all kind of walks of uh, healthcare that are there and, you know, participate in these programs. Um, you know, and you also mentioned, <laughs> I'm hitting you up on all these comments. You also talked about uh, mentorship and having a mentor and how Jeannie mentored you uh, in, into this uh, field. T- tell me your feelings about just mentorship. I think having a mentor is huge. The thing about having a mentor is that You know, they can really frame your thinking. They can help you get connected to the right professional organizations, training, jobs, research. They can give you inspiration and accountability, too, to make sure that you get there and that you don't give up along the way and encouragement. Do they help with, you know, training and understanding um, outside their scope of of practice? So when I started in the sexual health education, aside from doing the ASECT, Dr. Pope and I actually would meet every Sunday and go over diagnoses. We would make little presentations that we would give our, give each other. And Jeannie, we brought her in right away too. Once we felt comfortable enough that we could start giving presentations in front of Jeannie, because we had to learn, you know, some of the basics first. And then um, from there, you know, we've just, we continued doing that to the point that we ended up eventually becoming, you know, business partners. So I think it's important to do your own work as well, aside from all of this. I mean, there's a lot to learn. So you've got all this experience, all this education. Now somebody's really interested and comes up and asks you, where do I start? What do I do to get into this field? To me, the best place to start would be to take some classes. I think if you have an interest, I would go to a conference the Ishwish conference that we were just at, the International Society of Study of Women's Sexual Health, there was lots of students there. And it was so encouraging to see them participating in the research. Many of them were giving presentations, poster presentations, or ISSM, that's the International Society of Sexual Medicine. These are your people. See if you like being around these people. (laughs) Um, They are the ones that get excited about all this stuff, the advances, the new treatments, research, and see if it resonates with you then reach out. There are mentorship opportunities. Um, We're very fortunate to have the Ohio Sexual Health Collaborative in our state. Tell us a little bit about that. (laughs) The the professional membership organization, Ohio Sexual Health Collaborative, it's dedicated to the advancement of women's sexual health care in Ohio. 
Uh, we share a passion for improving the lives of, of women by providing sex positive, evidence-based healthcare and through sexual health education and research. And it's composed of physicians, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, physical therapists, sex therapists, counselors, and more. And it's a great resource to reach out to and they can help you get connected in this field. Just uh, last week, a couple of the other providers and myself were down at Case Western giving a talk to the um, sexual medicine club down there. So, you know, they're, these people are happy to share uh, what they've done and, and their journeys with you. You know, I'm thankful to have had a, an opportunity to to do uh, this these episodes, these podcasts, uh, and and having that group back me up. So, yeah, thank you for plugging them very much. Tell us a little bit. You you have this incredible group of folks, this wonderful posse, this uh, wonderful, rich and deep bunch of people that know all this stuff. Tell us about how your group works together. So we are actually we're one division over a few different departments and we meet monthly to go over tough cases. Uh, you know, anybody can bring a case to the the meeting and talk about it. We do it over Zoom just after lunch on, you know, one day of the month. And then in between times, if we get stuck with the case, you know, we have each other's contact information. We will do a group text about, you know, whatever we're trying to get information on for a patient or, you know, throw around ideas with each other. And that happens frequently throughout the week. So we certainly are very connected in that way. And then also we uh, do a symposium. We did one last year around menopause and sexual health. And then we're planning one for this fall around um, the pelvic floor and conditions that are affected by that with, you know, sexual pain being one of them, obviously. Yeah, that's uh, fabulous learning. I, you know, speaking of cases, give us some ideas on some of the cases you work at as a group or individually. I say a pretty typical case for me when I think about, you know, one of my cases, I'd say, you know, I have a patient that comes in um, with frequent UTIs. She's postmenopausal. She's getting UTIs after intercourse. She has chronic constipation. She has burning off and on, painful penetrative intercourse. She's starting to get a fear of having a UTI with intercourse and a fear of having pain with intercourse. So it's starting to affect her desire. That's also starting to affect her partner's desire because her partner's afraid that they might be a part of the equation. So I, I work on getting their equipment in good working order. I teach her her anatomy. We talk about how the constipation is contributing to her symptoms because it's just putting more bacteria in her vagina. We talk about um, what it's not as well, because she is peeing after intercourse. She is very clean. She's wiping front to back. But we talk about how all women have bacteria in their vagina. Um, and as she's losing her estrogen from her ovaries, as those eggs die off, she has less estrogen. So at the cellular level, she has less acidity. There's less good bacteria and more bad bacteria. She also has dryness. Um, they're not really using any sexual tools um, there's little to no foreplay. So we talk about how long it takes for a woman's vagina to be aroused and ready to go. You know, we talk about lubrication, you know, assistance and things that you can do there. But it's just a little micro trauma and that bacteria is up in the urethra and then it doesn't take long for it to build an army. And so we talk about, you know, good bladder health supplements that I recommend like D-Manos for, you know, your more typical UTIs like, such as E. coli. So we have her vagina in good working order. And we're lowering her UTI risk. We're going to address the issues, um, whether the sexual pain is due to dryness or musculoskeletal. She may need to see a pelvic or physical therapist. And I bring her back and we work on, you know, more of the desire issues, you know, because 
your brain is your most powerful sex organ. So the tools I can give her to help with these problems, you know, don't necessarily happen overnight. It may take a few visits to kind of unwind some of this. It may have to do with some of her past and history and things in their marriage. Um, but I like to give a patient, you know, a couple of things to do um, to work on with every visit. So you you send people, you include your pelvic floor physical therapist on a lot of patients, no doubt. Um, when, when do you bring them in to the, the psychology folks? Once they've reached what I can do with specific suggestions, I send them to the psychology folks. But oftentimes, you know, right from the very first visit, there will be indications that they, you know, would like to go ahead and see a psychologist sooner than later. So, you know, I, I often, it kind of depends on the patient situation. Talk a, a little bit about how you, uh, we, we always talk about the biopsychosocial um, model of, of low um, desire. Talk, talk a little bit about how you utilize that in your practice and in your group. Yeah, I was just sitting here thinking about a patient that I saw recently, um, pretty interesting patient, a young woman that um, was referred to me by one of the other urology um, providers for urinary symptoms, urinary frequency, urgency, and they had done urodynamics and wanted me to look at their testing. And so I said, okay, and I, we brought her in and I started looking at her testing, started talking. And we started talking about a pelvic exam. We started talking about sex, those kinds of things. And it became very apparent that there was some abuse in the past. And so, you know, that was a, a patient that got referred to psychology, you know, right away. And that there was going to be a lot more to this than just an overactive bladder. And so eventually we were able to, you know, start the process. I wasn't able to do like really a pelvic exam because she also was struggling with vaginismus. She had a really tight pelvic floor. And she also was having some symptoms that made me lead me to believe that she might need a cystoscopy. And she ended up having interstitial cystitis. She actually had like the Hunter's lesions. And so we ended up uh, referring her to pelvic floor physical therapy, psychology, and myself and um, another provider as well for the cystoscopy. And they're going to end up, uh, you know, working on her a few more times. So this was a very complex patient with a lot of, uh, you know, pieces to it, but um, she's already improved with medications, procedures, starting therapy. Um, very exciting. Well, for, for the providers out in Tinbuk too, uh, listening and thinking, okay, I know a little bit about, you know, sexual medicine, but how could I ever help one of my patients way out here get the kind of world-class care you guys are giving? Do you work with virtual visits? Within the state of Ohio, I can do virtual visits. Um, I believe Dr. Kingsburg and Dr. Kelly, they're able to do virtual visits um, for a certain number of states that allow them to do psychological virtual visits. So that is certainly an option for a lot of patients that don't have that kind of care in their backyard like we do. And, and we will put your contact information in, in the show notes. So you know, people sitting here listening, going, oh, my God, we don't have anything like that around here, uh, can reach out and uh, maybe uh, get your help in in the smaller areas. Because what you do is there's just not a lot of people like you and, and the people in your group. Um, so what pearls are you going to leave us with for the, the learners and the providers out there and getting help to really 
help people in this this world of sexual medicine? I want to tell you about one of my favorite tools I use every day, and that's the decreased sexual desire screening tool that Dr. Kingsburg recommended to me. And the reason I like it is because, you know, we all have busy practices. We we're short on time, but big on lots of things we need to cover with the patient. And it is something that I give to all of my female identifying patients that walk in the door. And it's a screening tool and it gives you a lot of information, not only about low desire, but other things that they feel like could be affecting their sexual health. And so when I give that to patients, we may not have time to cover it that day, but I look at it and I say, you know what, I see that you have indicated that you would like, you know, more assistance in this area. Would you make another appointment so that I can really sit down and address this with you? This is not a short conversation. We can unpack it all and come up with a plan. I've never had a patient tell me they didn't want to make that appointment. So I definitely feel like just asking that permission giving is so important. And my other pearl would be when I think about my journey and I think about what I would tell a a future student, I would say, get a mentor. And it doesn't have to be all in this order, but I would get a mentor. I would take some classes and I would get inspired because there is so much that you can get involved with, with sexual health, whether it's research or clinical working. And it's so gratifying you know, when I was going through sexual health counselor certification, I thought there needs to be a sex ed course for adults for all this stuff that you don't learn in when you're in school. And then I realized I get to teach that every day to young people, middle-aged, older adults as part of my job. I feel very fortunate to be a part of my patient's journey and help them achieve the sexual health they want. Uh, you're inspiring. Um, I will uh, include that questionnaire in the show notes for people who are interested and um, it's very inspiring to talk to you. And thank you for sharing a little bit about your expertise, but especially about how you got there for people who want to know a little bit more than just the general gist of sexual medicine and how important it is to talk to people. So thank you very much. And it's it's always great talking to you. Thank you, Terry. I really appreciate you having me here today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sex Ed for Sex Med. Please find the articles used in today's discussion in the show notes for further study. Also, you will find the contact information for our expert today.